Well, good morning. morning. All you brave, brave souls that uh, ventured out. We were, uh, we thought we'd just be getting here about now. Um, Because when we left our house in Billings, uh, we even left a little early today, but the roads in Montana are atrocious. We got a lot more snow than you. And they weren't out, they didn't put any gravel down, anything. And I started texting Tommy who I thought would be here to cover me if we didn't make it, and then she didn't show up. So uh, it's a good thing we did. She texted me and said her roads are really bad. And when she found out we were at least halfway, she said, okay, great. And, uh, but uh, then we got into Wyoming, and uh, kudos to the wind. That must have blown all the snow <laughs> off the road uh, in the, what you call the bench or south of Belfry anyway. Uh, so until we got to this Skull Creek Hill, and that's pretty icy, but they had already put gravel down. So it was awesome. You have a better DOT than we do. And uh, so, yeah, let's hear it for Wyoming. It's going to be competition. Um, anyway, uh, we uh, are thankful to be here, and uh, we just um, drove as cautious as we could. And, and uh, I thought, well, if we're late, we're late. What the heck? So, but we made it in time. We were shocked. Um, so anyways, glad to be here. Thank you for all coming. It's just a, a, such a pleasure for us to come every Sunday and uh, to rise up. And boy, was it beautiful this morning. As we up here on the, is that right, the bench? Is that what you call that big flat? Yeah. Yeah, so against the mountains, the clouds are like halfway up the peaks, and there's some snow and not snow, and it is just what a spectacular God we have to create that. And beautiful, beautiful Wyoming. So, um, uh, let me, I just felt like I was going to almost interrupt worship for a minute, but I know Jackie would have beat me off with a microphone. Um, I don't think she would have done that. Uh, I was just going to say, um, you know, Jesus, that sweetest name, I trust in that name alone. I just felt, uh, to share one thing before I do the sermon today, is that when we tell our stories, when we say of what we were, what happened when we met Jesus, and what he's making us now, that we need to make sure that at the end of our story, Jesus is the hero. Always Jesus is the hero. Jesus comes out on top. Sometimes we get stuck in our own story, and we close our story of of our journey to God, journey to Jesus, journey with the Holy Spirit, and we uh, it ends up kind of like, oh yeah, look how good we are now, or something, or look what God's done in my life, and Somehow, Jesus being the hero gets kind of buried. So I, uh, I was so thankful. All the songs we sang this morning were definitely about Jesus being the hero of our lives. So we're going to continue in Jonah today in chapter 2. If you have your Bibles or your phones or however you access the Word of God today, um, we're going to do that. And then uh, I'm going to open in prayer first, if that's all right. So um, Lord Jesus, uh, Father, Holy Spirit, the Trinity, we are so glad that you are actively at work in our life, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that you, one God in three persons, invades us, brings us to you, calls us by your love, transforms us, brings us into your image even more. Thank you, Father, for creating us in, our, in your image even when we were in our mother's womb. And though, Lord, we have fallen from your uh, image that you created in Adam and Eve, that you have redeemed us and bring us back into uh, being formed to be like you. And oh, Jesus, how much we need to be like you. Lord, we, um, the days of our lives when we're less than you, uh, it grieves me, Lord. But thank you for your Holy Spirit coming and convicting and giving us a new start every day. And that, Lord, we're able to pick up our cross this day and follow you. No matter what happened yesterday, last night, two days ago, last week, last year, last decade, Jesus, this is a new day for us, and we thank you, and and come and invade our lives and rearrange the furniture in our lives, and and you're the welcomed guest on the throne. And so, Lord, enlighten us with your word today. Change us with your word. Your word is generative, generate, create in us uh, something that may have not been there before. Uh, Out of nothing as you created this earth, out of the little we have, may you create in us a heart that beats for you. So thank you, Lord. Uh, Bless those all that are at home today, that are um, staying safe. Just be with them. May your Holy Spirit descend on their homes. And um, we love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 
So, um, also, I just want you to know we're actively praying. I hope you do too, are praying too for who God would send as the pastor, the next pastor for your church. And we're just uh, excited that God's already working on that in the background. And uh, I know uh, Sam is looking. So is our son, Nate, with all of his contacts. And so uh, we just believe um, that that person, that family, uh, will be brought here in, um, in God's timing and uh, before the snow gets too deep. For us, okay. <laughs> um, so, just a little reminder in Jonah. We're going through this journey today. We're going to spend most of our time in chapter two. There's so much in chapter one. It took a few weeks to get through there, but some of the highlights are just uh, on the next map uh, or the next slide. I think it shows a map again of just this journey, uh, and it's kind of a map. I was thinking it's kind of a map of all of our lives. God may ask us to do something. God may come and woo us to Himself. Say, come and be my child. Your sins are forgiven. And sometimes we run. I know that's happened in my life. I ran the night that I gave my heart to the Lord. I ran out of the living room where this wonderful couple who were my wife's best friends during elementary, middle school, and high school um, said, would you like to pray for Jesus to come into your heart tonight? And I took a little trip over to Tarshish uh, that night. Uh, luckily, it only lasted a little while. I, I said, we had two children at the time. I said, I think I hear the kids crying. And Carolyn looked at me and goes, you've never heard the kids crying at night. What has given you supernatural hearing tonight? And of course, the kids weren't crying, but I wanted to get out of that situation of surrendering my life to the Lord. So I got up, went into the bedroom, laid down, by our youngest at that time, Jacob, laid next to him and going, whew. So it was kind of my trip down to the ship, as, as Jonah did, and sailing for Tarshish. And I laid on bed, and it was really weird. It was bunk beds, and I was on the bottom, just like Jonah went down into the bottom of the ship. Uh, I was laying there, and my heart started to, I thought, literally pound out of my chest. And the Holy Spirit was calling me and giving me a second chance and I got up, and I almost felt like this, like I was sleepwalking, like, okay, God, lead me. I have no choice in this. And that wasn't true. I had a choice. But I wanted to follow him. Led me back in the living room, and I, with some very gracious, gentle words, shouted, all right, I give up. That was my salvation prayer. And uh, uh, I gave up, uh, you know, kind of like, Jesus, take the wheel. But it was more like, all right. Take the whale, you know, that kind of thing. And so that night, my life changed. But maybe we've all done that. Maybe we've all had a journey. Maybe we've become Christians, and we've been walking with the Lord for a while, and we say, man, I'm going to Tarshish. I don't want to go uh, to Nineveh. I don't want to do this thing the Lord's asking me, whether it's even forgiving somebody. It doesn't have to be a journey of your feet or your life or getting in a car or going to a different country to live or, or going to someplace. It can just be the journey of our hearts saying, I will never forgive this person. I don't believe this person deserves the, the forgiveness of God or the pains in your life or a relationship when you're in your household, when you're growing up, whatever it is. We many times run and the great message of Jonah is he gives us a second chance. And hopefully we'll get to those first few verses of chapter 3 where it says, and the word of God came to Jonah a second time. What a book of mercy and grace and second chances this is. All right? So, um, remember he was supposed to go preach to Nineveh. Nineveh were the, were the terrorists of those days, the hated enemy of Israel. It would be like us, God sending you to say, you're going to go to the Taliban or you're going to go to ISIS and you're going to go preach to them. I've called you there. And he goes, no way. He goes down to Joppa, and everything described at the end of uh, most of chapter 1 and beginning of and through the prayer in chapter 2 is Jonah's always going down, down, down. He goes down to Joppa, down to the ship, down in the base of the ship, in the, in the, uh, sorry, down in the second level and sleeping, everything. And now at the end of chapter 2, where we'll go today, he finally starts after his prayer as he's sinking down into the ocean. He gets thrown overboard because the sailors realize you're the cause for this storm. Even Jonah knows he's the cause for the storm. Even Jonah says, just throw me overboard. 
He has some little glimmer of care for other people all of a sudden, and they throw him overboard, and it says he's going down, 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 down. And after he prays in the, the belly of this fish uh, and pretty much says, God, I've got to turn back to you, that's when things start to reverse. Down, 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 and all of a sudden he gets vomited up. Okay, It says, and the fish threw him up. Okay, And so uh, he starts coming up after prayer. And that's what happens to all of our lives. When we're running from God, everything's down, 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 down. Then when we turn to God, things begin to go up, 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 up. Okay, we may have ups and downs in our up, but your down is higher than your old up used to be. Okay, and uh, that's been my experience. That happened to me when I was baptized. I don't know if you've all been baptized, how big baptism, is there a baptismal thing here? Oh, bring it out here? Okay, or just fill up the piano. That could work. No, um, so you bring out baptism. I remember when I was baptized, uh, I remember I had more power to say no. I, I noticed my lot to say no to sin and yes to God in my everyday walk with the Lord after I was baptized. And I would, uh, and then also when I asked the Holy Spirit to fill me, to come and give me everything that God has for me, I noticed that I, my life was still ups and downs, but my up was always, the, it was up and to the right, and my downs were higher than my old ups, okay? And so that's our life in walking with Jesus, and he helps us do that. As long as we're not running away, and sometimes in our life we do that. All right, so let's go now to chapter 2, and uh, let's read it together. I think that's the next slide up there. Oh, can, can you dig out my little pointer? It's in that uh, middle pocket. Just excuse me, I'm coming down to reveal my hidden secrets here. Um, I feel so strange being up there uh, on the stage anyway. Oh, and my wife gets to fix my pants when I'm down here. I wonder where that went. Oh, it isn't here. Okay. I really like my mic to be popping, too. Oh, maybe I don't have it. I have this little, my fancy laser pointer. Well, looks like it's gone. Oh, there it is. Found it. All right, here we go. All right, so let's read chapter 2 of Jonah. And uh, this is his prayer. So he's been thrown out of, the, out of the boat. We assume at this time that he's already been, he sunk for a while. It seems from the prayer, he sunk from the while. He saw seaweed around him. He saw the underwater cliffs and mountains. And somewhere on his way down, maybe just as he's out of breath, this fish swallows him. We don't know what part of this prayer is outside the fish, which part is in the fish. Most people assume it probably is prayed when he's in the fish, and it's recounting what he saw as he was sinking and thought this was the end of his life. And the, God provides this fish as his miracle uh, redemption. All right, so here we go. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I call to you, Lord. And he answered me. So the distress, he's sinking in the water, and he calls the Lord, and that must be when he said, he answered me, provided the fish. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the sea, and currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. Go to the next one. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down, the earth beneath barred me in forever. So that's pretty hopeless, like, I'm dead, this is, uh, I'm gone. But you... Lord, my God, brought my life up from the pit. Maybe this is referring to when the fish swallowed him. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Now, before we leave this slide, I want you to notice two things I'll refer to and back to, that twice in this prayer, he refers to the holy temple of God. Here, he said, he, he's, I'm banished from your sight, but yet I, I will look again to your holy temple. That's where God's presence 
Remember in the Old Testament, God's presence was in the temple. In the New Testament, God's presence is in all of us. We are the temple of God individually, and more importantly, as a church, we're the temple of God. We're living stones being built into his temple. But here, if you wanted to find God's presence in the Old Testament, you needed to go to the temple. That's where God dwelled, all right? So he said, I will look to your holy temple. And then down here again in verse 7, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. All right, next slide. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And then this is the first point where we get an up movement in Jonah's life. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto the dry land. And we know in any sense of the word vomit, something's got to come up, okay? Even though the word is not mentioned as up. Is that kind of distasteful to you this morning, talking about vomiting? But uh, it's the word of God. Don't blame me. Now, okay, so uh, he vomited up. Now, before we leave this slide, too, I want you to look at verse 8. This is a little problem in this prayer. Hard for us to see. I never saw it until I started reading about Jonah, studying scholars like Tim Keller and others who have written about Jonah. They say verse 8 shows a problem yet in Jonah's heart. It might be hard for you to see. Does anybody, can they see why those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them? Why in the midst of this prayer of repentance, this prayer of saying, God, I'm sorry, I give up, I will hoping to look at your temple again. You provided great deliverance for me, and I was going to die, but you have saved me. And even at the end, it ends with a shout. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. Yet what I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. So there's a shout of grace. We'll talk about that at the end of Jonah's prayer. Can anybody speculate on what's wrong or something you see in verse 8? Yes, Richard. Ooh, boy, you've been studying, brother. Okay, Richard, okay, Richard said, well, say it louder, Richard. Right, he's saying, at least you saved me because I'm not as bad as these dudes. Because in trance, in, in, in context, Remember, this whole thing is context around, you go to the Ninevites and preach. Jonah said, no way, I'm headed to Tarshish. And now he's thrown overboard. He knew he deserves that. And in the midst of even this repentant prayer, he says, there's still a little self-righteousness, a little pride, a little like I'm not as bad as the Ninevites. And that's the whole, one of the main themes of Jonah is he doesn't understand the grace of God. He's beginning to understand it, that he's as bad as a Ninevite, he's as bad as an Assyrian, and he lives by the same grace that God's offering to them. And if God offers you grace, why would you not offer it to others? And this happens to all of us, and I want to tell you, I hope you see yourself here, that you say, well, at least God loves me, thank you for the grace of my life, Lord, but I'm not sure about them, and I'm not as worthless as they are. Okay, do you see kind of the possible problem here? It's, it's very subtle, but every scholar I studied about Jonah, every commentary says verse 8 reveal, reveals still a flaw in Jonah's understanding of the grace and mercy and love of God. That he doesn't, he doesn't understand. He lives by that same mercy and grace that God wants to give to the Ninevites. All right? All right. Okay, let's go to the next slide. So let's talk a little bit about grace today. This whole chapter is about grace. Now, I don't know how many times growing up in church or, or funerals, I do a lot of funerals. One of the most requested songs at funerals has something to do with grace. What do you think that song is? Amazing Grace, right? Even the world knows Amazing Grace. All right, you even hear it on secular stations. Amazing Grace. We go to funerals even where the people aren't believers. We'll sing Amazing Grace. Now, do we understand that grace? Sometimes we can say it and understand it with our brains. We can sing it with our tongues. But sometimes we don't understand the grace of God deep in our hearts. And this chapter of Jonah 
is bringing and talking about the grace of God. All right, so there's three crucial truths about the doctrine of grace. This all comes from J.I. Packer in his famous book, Knowing God. If you've never read Packer's book, it, luckily it's pretty little, it's pretty thin. My mother-in-law gave it to me as a Christmas present one year, and I'm always grateful for that. Uh, and it was Knowing God. It's one of the classics of all of Christian literature in the last couple hundred years. And if you've never read it, I would suggest, if you want to, get Packer's book, Knowing God. It's not expensive, easily had on Amazon, may not be here in a local bookstore, but you can find it there. Now, he says three aspects that we need to understand if we're going to not just give lip service to grace, if we're going to let it change our lives. All right? Three points. Number one, we are sinners. Now, this is offensive today because we live in an age, one author's called this the age of the triumph of therapy or the triumph of the therapeutic is, I think, the actual quote. Therapy or the therapeutic approach to life is what? What would you say? Why, how is therapy kind of a denier that we're sinners? We're broken beyond repair. What does therapy tell you? Yeah, it's like all you need is you just have a bad self-image. All you need to do is get a trophy for showing up. Okay, you just need to, to uh, just, you're just thinking wrong. You're, just, you're not that bad. You're not, you're not really uh, as broken as you think you are. You just have the wrong circumstance. Or if we give you some money, or you just need to take a trip, or you're just married to the wrong person, or you're just, uh, you're, your kids are just not behaving good and it's not your fault. You know, whatever, the, the triumph of the therapeutic is the age we live in. That the, we, it's self-help. We can go read self-help books. I guess, remember when bookstores existed before Amazon? Uh, <laughs> Uh, at least I used to be able to go to, uh, you know, Barnes and Noble and what's the other big one? Borders and all those. Now there's only one of those left in Billings, and there used to be multiple bookstores, right? And there's still a few. Do you have bookstores here? Are there some surviving? What is it? Okay. And the only bookstores I see really thriving much in Billings are the ones that sell used books. You know, everybody brings in their uh, C.J. Box books, right? or uh, your Longmire books. I'm thinking of Wyoming here. Okay, we didn't know there was really a place called Ten Sleep until we actually looked on the map and there's a Ten Sleep because C.J. Box, Longmire, all those books written about uh, game wardens or sheriffs in Wyoming are uh, mentioned these names. So uh, how did I get into all that? Okay, so uh, the therapeutic, the therapeutic, the biggest section in bookstores uh, and maybe even I'm wondering if it's the biggest selection, one of the biggest selections in Amazon are the self-help books. How to get healthier, wiser, more in shape, how to watch your diet, how you do all these things. This is your only problem. You're eating too much sugar. Okay? This is what's wrong. You've got to get your, your uh, body back. And I, I totally believe that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We've got to take care of our physical bodies and all of those things. Carol and I go to water aerobics. We try to keep in shape. Now, um, but the therapeutic, this is offensive to the, this is offensive to our age. The triumph of the therapeutic, the age of therapeutic. Because to call your sinners, you're saying you're not that bad. That's, you don't, you're not bad. It's just your circumstances. It's just your self-talk. It's all those things. Now, J.R. Packer says, no, we are sinners. And we see this in Jonah uh, 2, 3. We read it just a minute ago in his prayer. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the sea. That is a confession by Jonah that I am deserving of this, that I have sinned against you. I have run from going to preach the Ninevites. I am headed on my own vacation to Tarsus, and I've been getting away from you. This storm has come upon the ship. Everybody's life is in peril, all because of me. You deserve to throw me overboard. He tells the sailors, throw him overboard. Remember, the sailors don't, oh, no, no, we don't want to kill you. The sailors are more righteous than he is at that time. But he eventually goes over, and he admits in his prayer, I am a sinner. I deserve this. I do not, I, I do not, it's just not my self-talk. It's just not my circumstances. I rebelled against you. I am a sinner. Jonah knew there was divine justice and that he deserved it, and not in degrees. 
we get into this kind of thing too. Well, I'm, I'm a little better than they are, okay? Or it's not our degrees of our sins. All sin is a failure in the presence of God. We are all guilty and unclean. I mean, what was the statement? I've asked people, uh, are you sure tonight if you die, you'd go to heaven? What's, what's some of the most common answers that you think we get from that of people who don't understand God's grace? I think a good, a good life. Yeah. I've done more good than I've done bad. Here's the biggest answer I hear. hear. Well, at least I haven't killed anybody. I mean, that's, that's, about, that's one of the biggest answers I've always heard. Well, especially you can ask that question when there's a serial killer or somebody that's really evil and horrible that you ask them a question and say, well, at least I'm not like in our days when we were younger. I know some of you are too young. I said, at least I'm not like Jeffrey Dahmer who cut up people and put them in his refrigerator, okay? Or like a lot of other really horrible people. I'm not as bad as Hitler. I'm not these things. So uh, we think sin is a degree, but all sin is failure before God. All sin is failure. It can just say, I'm taking this boat ride. Jonah hasn't killed anybody. Jonah hasn't actually caused anything worse to happen. It's all just the same as it was. He's just running from God. It is sin. He deserves death. And so one way we can understand how amazing grace is, we can sing that song, but how amazing is it to our lives is to realize we all deserve to be thrown over the board. We deserve to go down to the depths of the sea. Only when we realize that and we don't think in therapeutic terms that at least I'm not that bad, once we start saying at least I'm not that bad, grace is not that amazing to us anymore. It loses its luster. Only when we realize no matter what I've done, I have sinned. I deserve death. All right, let's go to the second point. Okay, three points, remember, to grace by G.I. Packer. Most people, we can say, oh, God's grace is abundant in my life, but do we really understand it? First point, we're sinners, all sinners, and any sin deserves death. Number two, the, what Packer calls the spiritual impotence of man. Impotence means without power. We are without power power to change ourselves. Jonah 2.6, to the roots of the mountains I sank down, the earth beneath barred me in forever. In other words, there's nothing in me that can bring me out of this. I am spiritually impotent, powerless to change this situation that I am a sinner and deserve distance from God. Jesus says it this way in the Sermon on the Mount. What's the first beatitude? Does anybody know? We're checking your biblical stuff here. Blessed are the poor in the bank account? No. Poor, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the what? Kingdom of God. Now, to be poor in spirit means, let me take my keys out here. To be poor in spirit means our pockets are like this. There's nothing in me that can pay for my debt. There is nothing in me that can bring and wipe away my sin. My pockets are empty. I'm powerless. I don't have enough to pay the ransom for my life to be taken out of the darkness because of the sin I've committed. And that's what Jonah's doing there. The foundational assumption of every other religion. That's a huge statement. Every other religion... I, I usually stay away from the alls or everys because there's always an exception, and there may be, but uh, I know Tim Keller and others say the assumption of every other religion on earth outside of Christianity is that if we try hard enough, we can fix the brokenness in ourselves. Every other religion that I just have to meditate more, I have to put down my body and become more spiritual. I just have to do something, and it is the fundamental assumption, and this is a huge statement, of every other religion on earth. That's why we don't call Christianity. Some people, uh, if you listen to my son's preach, they would say Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. Now, that sounds you know, cute, kind of. It sounds like, oh, that's kind of neat. But at its heart, it's true. 
Religion is man trying to get good enough and fix ourselves so we can have a relationship with God. A relationship is, I can't do it. Jesus, you need to be my Savior. I put my trust in you, and you have paid my price because I was impotent and powerful. Then and today, we are taught, we, we are taught, sorry, we can fix us. We are taught, and the scholars that have studied what the religions that were around Israel in those days, the other tribes and the other gods that were worshipped, said it was a common belief that we can fix ourselves. And so Jonah, even there in Judaism, is, has some knowledge that he could try and fix himself. But in this prayer, he realizes, going down into the depths, being swallowed by the fish, that he cannot fix himself. The earth has barred him in underneath the water. We cannot fix ourselves. That's the bottom line. We cannot. So the first thing is we're sinners. The second thing is we can't fix ourselves. We go to the third part of grace. We can only be saved, made right in relationship with God, have the barrier of sin taken away through extreme and costly measures. God has shown this since Genesis 1.1. We can only be made right with God through costly, costly measures. All right? Now, this is where we're going to get into Jonah saying, I look back to your temple. Remember I showed you two verses where he said, I will look, I look to your temple. All right. Twice in his prayer, Jonah refers to the temple. We'll just review those real quick. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your temple. Jonah 2.7, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer to you, to your holy temple. I took the time to repeat those, not to bore you or to be repetitive, because this is central to understanding the prayer of Jonah and the grace he begins to understand and how we need to make grace truly amazing in our lives, that we can be transformed. So here we go. Let's go to the next, page, next slide. All right, here's a picture, uh, artist drawing of the mercy seat in the temple. Central to the temple in the most holy place was the Ark of the Covenant. Kind of Indiana Jones style, right? But I don't think your face melted off when you looked into it. Okay, uh, I was, I was kind of excited when Indiana Jones came and the whole thing centered around the Ark of the Covenant and God's presence among his people. And wherever the Ark was, that's where God traveled. And on top of this is the lid, it, above the lid is called the mercy seat. Uh, so right here, so this is the ark itself made of gold. These are the poles that to carry it because it, what, a, what if a person touched the ark, what happened to him? Died. And that's what I think the authors of Indiana Jones were kind of like, oh yeah, it says this in the Bible, so we'll kind of build it into this story. And so anybody that looked in the ark was... Remember the faces melted off? Okay, now, uh, what happens here is then there's a lid, and then there's two cherubim, two angels, with their wings touching over the top of the lid, and the area on the top of the lid and between the angel wings is called the mercy seat of the, of the, uh, of the ark. It's the mercy seat. What is in the ark? Okay, Aaron's rod's one of the things. Ten Commandments, one more thing. Manna, a jar of manna. Okay, it actually was a mason jar they found it. No, that's not true. Um, it was probably a clay jar. I don't think they had glass in. Um, uh, the first canning was uh, manna. Okay, I wonder if it was pressurized or just cold pack. Okay, anyway. Uh, the, uh, the, but you know what? You could, as you read through the Old Testament, two things leave the ark and are lost somewhere along the line. And at the end of the Old Testament, there's only one thing left in the ark. You know what that one thing is? The Ten Commandments, the tablets. Somewhere in there, if you read uh, some of the Minor Prophets, the rod of Aaron disappears, and the jar of manna is gone. The only thing, at least it appears that way from Scripture, or else the Scripture says the only thing that really of it was importance, the grandest importance there, was the Ten Commandments. And so the Ten Commandments are God's law. So this is what I want you to live up to. This is how I want you to behave. And nobody could live up to them. We all failed. We're all sinners. It was a setup for the grace of God. And so in this ark, in this place where God's standards are placed, 
God provides a way for our failure to live the Ten Commandments to be dealt with, and it's on the mercy seat, the mercy seat. So it's so once a year, the high priest kills an animal, collects the blood, takes it into the Holy of Holies, and spreads that blood on the mercy seat for the forgiveness of sins of the entire nation of Israel. And it is that blood that's spilled on the mercy seat that is the symbol that the grace of God, forgiveness, not deserved from us, we're all sinners, we're impotent to become good enough, that remember the third point of grace is it can only be made through extreme costly measures. God said something has to die for your forgiveness. Paul writes it in Romans, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. It's costly. It isn't the blood that necessarily we focus on, though the blood of Jesus. But what were we supposed to get when we sing songs about the blood of Jesus? Or say, we pray the blood of Jesus over somebody's life, or we think about the blood of Jesus. It's not the blood itself that's the magical thing. It's the mercy and the cost that God has paid for our forgiveness the death of his own son. So in the Old Testament, he sets this up, and the people of God, the Israelites, the Jews, understand I can only be forgiven at great cost. Something has to die so that I don't for my sins. So that I don't get thrown overboard of the ship, something has to die because I deserve to be thrown over. I deserve to go down to the depths of the earth, but it's going to be costly to redeem me. It's only one death of another secures our forgiveness that we can have a relationship with God. So let's review these three parts of grace again in the next slide. Grace becomes stunning, or could we even use the word amazing? Can we say that together? Amazing. Grace becomes amazing or stunning. What if the song was stunning grace, how great? That wouldn't work, right? So that's why we choose the word amazing. Okay. God became, God, grace becomes stunning when we realize, again, these three truths. Now, this is central. Grace is amazing, it is stunning, and it changes our lives. But in the age of the therapeutic, we sometimes forget and it loses its luster. And so today, by God's word, by power of the Holy Spirit, may the silver polish come out and may it polish grace in our lives so that it dazzles us, so that it's stunning to us, so that it's truly amazing, all right? We deserve nothing but condemnation. We are utterly incapable of saving ourselves. Blessed are you when you realize you're poor in spirit, for then yours is the kingdom of God. God has saved us despite our sin at infinite cost to himself, the death of his own son. Let's go to the next slide. So let's talk about at the end of that prayer. Remember it says, Jonah says, with a shout, he will declare the grace of God. We find grace not at the high points of our lives, but in the valleys and depths and at the bottom. This prayer of Jonah about the grace of God, I'm a sinner, I, desired, I deserve death to be thrown overboard, I cannot bring myself out of this depth, the seaweeds are too much around me, I'm going to die. And then he says, but I want to look at your temple and I realize there's a mercy seat at the temple for me. And God, I rely on your mercy, the shedding of the blood of those sacrificial animals that it, even if it costs you a lot, you will redeem me. And so he's going down. It's incomplete a little bit because remember Jonah's way before the cross. He doesn't see Jesus in this whole thing that we have the vantage point of seeing, but he knows it's on the mercy of God. He has to rely. And the mercy to the Jew was blood was shed for the forgiveness of sins. So no human heart learns it is sinful and impotent by being told so. Remember we talked last week about I've hit rock bottom. That's what it is. Jonah was going down, 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 down. Now he's throwing down, down, down in the sea. And then he starts to be coming up when the fish spits him out. Because at the bottom, he understands 
uh, how sinful and impotent it is. The human heart must be shown it is sinful, often in brutal experience. Some of us can, in our own stories, where Jesus becomes a hero, we can talk about the brutalness of what we went through to begin to understand the truly amazing, dazzling, brilliant, stunningness of grace. No human heart will believe in such a free, costly grace unless it is the only hope. When we figure it out we can't fix ourselves, that's when grace becomes so amazing to us. All right, let's go to the next one. Continuing on the shout of grace, Jonah declares, the bars are closed upon me forever. But Jonah immediately says, and yet you lift me up from the pit alive, O Lord. We went back to that prayer. He said, but you, I deserve to die forever, the word forever, but you lift me up. That probably is a response. Maybe the fish has swallowed him by that point. Jonah begins to praise God and dedicate himself before he knows he will be delivered from the fish. He has no idea if he's going to be delivered to fish or will he just become fish poop, okay? Sorry to be so graphic. But will, is he just going to be digested in there and die that way, even though he hopes to look back at the temple and see the mercy of God? He has no idea that the fish is going to vomit him out. So he comes to the Lord. He comes to his senses. He's like the prodigal son. He says, wow, I've blown it. God, if there's a chance that you will save me, I will take it. But if not, I just realize I'm a sinner and there's nothing I can do about it. And he begins to praise God even though the, he doesn't know he's going to get spit out. And so this is very important. It is when a person comes to acknowledge their sin and confess it before God that the real miracle happens, not the release from a fish. The real miracle is not that this fish vomits him up and he's covered with a little slime, some crustaceans or whatever else that fish ate. That's a miracle, but the real miracle is he realized he was a sinner, he realized he's impotent, and he realized it's going to be a great cost, but God wants to save me. God wants to bring me out. That is the real shout of grace. The prayer of Jonah ends with a shout. It says this, right out of the prayer. Salvation belongs to the Lord. I know that we used to sing a lot of songs about shout to the Lord, right? Remember that old song? Or shout to the Go. I don't know how many times you shout the deliverance of God, but salvation belongs to the Lord. Someone has said this text is a central verse of Scripture. One commentator said out of all the Bible, he believes that this is, is the theme of the entire Bible. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It's not us. And this is, this goes counterintuitive and even offensive in the age of the therapeutic. Because we say we have a part in this. Or we can make ourselves better. Or I need a little of God. Or I need to rely on his salvation, but I'll work on the rest of me. And that's not true. Salvation belongs to the Lord. He shouts it. Some, I think, supposed to be have. Sorry about that. Some, some have said this text is central. Okay, it is not that God saves part of us and we save the rest. No, God saves us. We do not and cannot save ourselves. That is the gospel. That is why one commentator said that this is the, one of the central themes of the scripture. All right, let's go on. There are still promise in Jonah's heart. Remember we talked about this, verse 8. Revealed in the prayer, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope and steadfast love. In context, he's referring to the Ninevites. Richard had that right. He is right, but we see him relapse into anger and confusion at God's mercy to the Ninevites in chapter 4. How we know that this verse is not quite right is because when we get to Jonah chapter 4, we will see how angry he gets that God gives mercy to the Ninevites. Okay? And so despite Jonah's breakthrough, he has not grasped grace as we have hoped. As I have hoped that you would say, all right, throw me in the sea. A fish swallows me. My gosh, I'm bombing on the land. I've got a second chance. Jonah still at this point has not understood completely the grace of God. He still believes he doesn't completely live by that grace. That there's something still in him that is better than the Ninevites. And as long as we live like that, that something in us is better than that guy down the street 
or that girl over there, or that teenager doing this, or that thing happening there. As long as we think that way, we build a club around us. We don't reach out. We don't understand God's love for all people. We think for some reason we have, uh, we're the only picture on his refrigerator. Okay? We think we're the only ones that's doing things right. And if anything messes with you today or in the entire book of Jonah, is to understand we all live by grace. We all deserve to be thrown overboard. We all deserve to go down to the depths and never to return. But if he saved me at great cost to himself on the ultimate mercy seat, the cross, then why would I hold that against anybody else? Why would I not think of myself? Why would I think myself better than them? I live by the grace that we all need on this earth. All right, let's go to the next one. The process of grace in Jonah, these are three quotes from Tim Keller. There is still a sense of superiority and self-righteousness. This is from that verse 8. At least I'm not as bad as the Ninevites. There's still a sense of superiority, self-righteousness that will cause him to explode into anger when God has mercy in the Ninevites, whom Jonah sees as in his inferiors. He sees the literal idols that the pagans worship, but not the subtle idols in his own heart, which keeps him from grasping that he too, just like the heathen, lives only equally by God's grace. And God releases Jonah from the fish, even though, as will become obvious soon, his repentance is only partial. Yet, on our yet our merciful God patiently works with us, flawed and clueless, though we are. I would say this is my great, this is what touched me so great from Jonah, is that I gave my heart to the Lord that night. I said, I give up. But I've still got flaws and misunderstanding about grace, self-righteousness within me, don't know how to love right, I'm still self-centered, all of those things. But God still delivered me. He still spit me out of the fish. And I'm still on the upward trend to become like him. And it, we would call this in the old uh, Christian theology that we don't hear much about today, we call this progressive sanctification sanctified i'm set aside by god the minute i call out to him i am being sanctified being made like jesus in this process and lastly i will be made like jesus so how many of you have been discouraged like i've been when you see how lousy you are <laughs> and maybe you've been walking with the lord like 40 years like i've been and i still see oh my gosh my heart is not right I said this, I thought this, I did this, oh God. But the book of Jonah gives me hope because God's not through with Jonah. Even in his incomplete repentance and understanding of grace, God puts him back on track for his calling and what he's to do. And it's the same for all of us. No matter how we fall, God's not through with us. God puts us back on track. He loves us to complete, as the psalm says, to complete the work that he's began in us. Or that Paul says, I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will what? Complete it and work on it until the day of Christ Jesus. That is the great hope in Jonah. Okay, let's go on. All right, we're going to close uh, just with a few words from uh, the beginning of chapter 3. And next week we'll cover chapter 3 and the next week chapter 4. All right? So this one was grace from the prayer of Jonah in chapter 2. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Let's hear that. Let's say it together. A second time. Or in my life, a four millionth time. Okay? The word of God came again. That's what's so awesome. Who are other people in Scripture that God gave second, third, fourth, and fifth chances to? David. What did David do that disqualified him? Or adultery. adultery, right? Yeah. Peter denied the Lord, reinstated, becomes the head of the church in Jerusalem. Paul, right? Paul's out to kill Christians. Jacob, in what way? That's right. And God changed his name. Awesome. 
becomes Israel. Anybody else? You think of? Who? Me. Okay, yeah, that's good. Me, all of us, me. There's just, the Bible is just full of, of people that God gave. The word of God came the second, third, fourth, fifth, hundredth, millionth chance. All right? Now, um, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I gave you. And then here's awesomeness. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, we're going to talk about it being, takes three days to walk around it next week and see what that might mean. That's got to be a really big city and probably bigger than it actually was. So we're going to delve into what that meant then. But the whole thing is, he's now going to go preach, and he still hasn't got his heart quite right. Like, at least I'm not as bad as those Ninevites. So, okay, I'll go. I don't want to go through another digestive system. Uh, I'll go. I'll go, but his heart's still not right. All right, so before Jackie and the worship team come and lead us and maybe a song talks about the blood of Jesus or the grace of God, let's pray. So Lord, I do ask that in all our lives that you would take out your polish by your Holy Spirit and bring grace back to its luster in our lives. That's truly, it is amazing to us that we just don't give lip service to grace, but that we understand that we are saved and forgiven at great cost to you, Lord. And something had to die every time sin was forgiven. And ultimately, the Lamb, perfect, righteous Lamb of God, your own Son, came and died for us. It truly is amazing, Lord. Thank you for saving us in the depths of our failures. Thank you for saving us even when we claim that will never deny you as Peter did. Oh, I'll never deny you, Lord. But we find ourselves maybe even tomorrow out of whack with you. That, Lord, all we will do is not wait for the fish to vomit us out, but the real miracle is that we will pray and believe in your deliverance and look to the mercy seat of God. We thank you, Jesus. Your grace is truly amazing in our lives. We love you, Lord. May we be more in love with you than we ever have. Lord, I am a sinner. I am impotent. And you have saved me by infinite cost to you. All that believe that, would you say amen? Amen, amen.